Turn to Exodus the 5th chapter and the 6th chapter. Exodus chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 6. Praise the Lord. If you're glad to be here, say amen. amen. God is good. Amen. If you got cobwebs in your brain up here, just shake your head a little bit. Praise the Lord. Then shoo them off. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. He's a good God. Amen. Praise God. Good to see you. Hope you're blessed. All right, Exodus chapter 5 in the Word of the Lord. Uh, in this chapter, we begin the battle with Pharaoh, the confrontation, uh, Moses and Aaron with the king, uh, really, of the world at that time, King Pharaoh. So keep that in mind. The next 10 chapters will include this battle with really God. It is a battle with God that has taken place uh, through his servants Moses and Aaron. All right, verse 1, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your word. We thank you for your anointing that rests upon us. Inspire us to preach it, to teach it, and to receive your word. Give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And as you're being seated, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord, I worship you. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. First request from Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh from the Lord God. And Lord God, you'll see verse 1 is yod Hey vav Hey, or sometimes pronounced Yahweh, the God of redemption, the God of covenant. And then we have God Elohim, the God of power. So the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Verse 2, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So the first request from God to Pharaoh at this time is that his people would be let go out of bondage. Notice the Bible says the purpose of that is that they might hold a feast unto him in the wilderness. And so what the request is simply is that they would go out and they could worship God uh, in the wilderness and serve Him. There'd be a great time of festive, festivity and feasting and celebration and joy uh, in the wilderness. Notice it doesn't say they're going to leave forever. The request simply is this, is let my people go that we may go and serve the Lord or hold a feast to God in the wilderness. You see that? Now, what is the response of Pharaoh? And this is a command from God, by the way. This is not a command from man. This is not coming from Moses and Aaron. This is coming from the Lord Himself, and that is to let the people go that they may hold a feast unto the Lord in the wilderness, a time of celebration and rejoicing. Pharaoh, verse 2, his response. 
Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Because Pharaoh, obviously, in his culture in Egypt, there are literally thousands of lords. They call false gods Lord. So when Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and command him by God to let the people of God that they may go hold and feast unto the Lord of the wilderness, uh, he doesn't know what Lord Moses is talking about. You with me here? You understand that? So he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? If you don't know the Lord, then you won't obey the Lord. Let's go over to Acts chapter 9. The great apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, the Bible says in verse 1, And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue that if he found any of this way where they were men or women he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? So he didn't know who was talking to him. Who art thou, Lord? Now he obviously is a believer in the one God of the Bible. But he hears this voice from heaven and he says, Who art thou, Lord? Well, who is the Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So the first question that Paul asked the Lord when he struck down to the ground, uh, the Bible says, is Who art thou, Lord? And then what's the next question? He trembled and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, if you don't know who the Lord is, then you won't obey Him. So the first thing you have to do is you have to know who the Lord is. Who is He? Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He is God. He's the one that was speaking uh, through Moses and Aaron at this time. The Lord Jesus Christ. But because Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord, he then says that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. If you don't know the Lord, you won't obey the Lord. And because Pharaoh didn't know the Lord, he did not obey the Lord. Let's go over into the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Verse 8, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't know, obey, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know His name, then you won't obey the Lord, and as a result of that, that brings judgment upon you. So it's very important for us to know who the Lord is. A lot of people say He's the second person in a fictitious trinity. No, Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is God come in the flesh. There's only one God. Amen? So Paul got a revelation as to who the Lord was. Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. That was an eye-opener for that Jew. Because for that Jew, there was only one Lord. There's only one God. And when Jesus told Paul, 
that he as the Lord was Jesus, it opened Paul's eyes that he is the one God of Israel. And as a result of Paul getting that revelation of who Jesus Christ was, that he was the one God of Israel, the Lord, because there's only one Lord, then he says, what do you want me to do? So once you get a revelation of who God is, once you know His name, what's His name? Jesus. Then the next question is, what will you have me to do? And you'll be willing to serve God. When Jesus Christ comes back, He's coming back in flaming fire. He's coming back in judgment. What's He going to do? He's going to judge people who know not God and who don't obey Him. Amen. So it's very important for us to understand that we need to know the Lord and once we know the Lord, we must obey Him or the judgments of God will come. And that's what's going to happen to Pharaoh. Because he doesn't know the name of the Lord and he doesn't obey the voice of the Lord. The judgments of God are going to come upon him and his land to bring deliverance to the people. Now, he should have been wiser than he was uh, he should have let Israel go because they simply requested to go out of the wilderness for a short period of time to have a festival unto God. Amen. Because he says no at this command, he will not like, like the next command. And the next command basically is going to take Israel completely out of his land forever. Not just temporarily go into the wilderness and have a festival, but to remove them completely and totally forever. Well, that teaches me something. Not just somebody like Pharaoh, but it teaches me something. That when God brings a command to me or He brings a command to you, if we don't obey the first command, we're not going to like the alternative. I want to listen to God when God comes to me. Because I know who He is, and most of you know who He is. He's Jesus. And when He comes to me and He requires of me certain things, by command, not suggestion. If I say no to the Lord, I'm not going to like the alternative. And because Pharaoh said no to the Lord about a feast in the wilderness, he's not going to like the alternative because when God comes to judge him, he's going to deliver Israel completely and totally out of his hands forever. They're not just going to go in the wilderness and come back. They're going to leave forever. So when God comes to us, it's very, very important for us, amen, to make up our minds because Pharaoh had already made up his mind ahead of time that he was going to say no. When God comes to us and He brings a command to us, remember, it's not a man that's bringing the command. It's not a human being that's bringing the command. It's the Lord that's bringing the command. And you're a very wise person to say yes to the Lord when He speaks the first time. Because if you don't listen to Him the first time and you don't obey His command the first time, you're not going to like the alternative. And this is the very beginning when we see Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? You know? I'm not going to let Israel go. This is the beginning of where Pharaoh's heart starts getting hard. And I'm going to go through the Word of God and for the next ten chapters we're going to see this battle between God and Pharaoh. And as we go through these chapters, you're going to see how Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then God gives him space to repent. He doesn't repent. Then the Bible says God hardens his heart. 
So what's happening is this, as you look at Pharaoh, as he says no to the Lord, anytime you say no to God, you get a little bit harder in your heart. Do you understand that? This is the beginning of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. If he would have said yes, I believe that God could have saved even Pharaoh. Because what we don't understand, even though prophetically God has already told Moses that I'm going to have to smite Egypt before Pharaoh will let them go. If Pharaoh had said yes to the Lord, do you realize that those what, what Egypt called plagues, from Egypt's perspective, they were plagues. From the people of God's perspective, those judgments that came from God upon Egypt were not plagues from, God, from the people of God's perspective. They were wonders. They were signs. Amen? So it depends on what side of God you're on when the judgments of God begin to fall. The people of God look at the judgments of God differently from the people of the world because for the people of God, as the judgments of God begin to fall, that's going to bring deliverance and salvation to us. From the world's perspective, they're plagues. Amen? If Pharaoh had listened and obeyed God's voice, you understand what I'm saying? The, the judgments of God, they would have had to come. But you need to realize this, that there are many people in Egypt that were saved by those judgments. Does that make sense? Pharaoh didn't have to deny the Lord. He didn't have to reject God. God knew he would, but he didn't have to. Do you understand that? And the Bible tells us that God began to pour out His wonders and His judgments that even some of the Egyptians were saved. God didn't just want to kill people. He wanted to save people. Not just Israel, but the whole land of Egypt. Many people were saved as a result of His judgments. Does this make sense? But Pharaoh said no to God in the first command. He's not going to like the alternative. And there's going to be judgments that are, that are going to come. They're going to be plagues from the Egyptians' perspective. But God's mighty power and deliverance from the church's perspective. The point being is this. Is that when God comes to you or He comes to me and He brings a command and we say no to Him, it gets harder and harder to obey Him. Because your heart starts getting hard. Amen? And until you get to heaven, until I get to heaven, you need to hear this word because nobody in this church, including this pastor, is glorified yet. And God brings His commandments to us. He brings His word to us. And as long as we're pliable, as long as we say, Yes, Lord, then the next command He brings to us will be easy for us to, to say yes to. Amen, amen. But every time you say God, no to God, you get a little bit harder in your heart to the Lord. And if you're not careful, you'll end up being like Pharaoh who kept hardening his heart and hardening his heart and then God says, okay, have your way. You know, and I've showed you this before. Amen? Come here, Bishop. He said that this man right here just, he represents Pharaoh. He's not Pharaoh, but he represents Pharaoh. This man keeps hardening his heart toward the commandments of God. Okay. At some point as he keeps hardening his heart, then God said, okay, that's the way you want it. And he's just going to push you right in the direction you want to go. See? Instead of him coming and convicting your life and dealing with you and trying to do work in your life, now he says, okay, that's the way you want it? Go ahead. He will let you go into your hardness. That's what it means God hardened his heart. 
So be very, very tender when it comes to the things of God and the commandments of God because every time you deny Him, every time you say no to God, you're getting a little bit harder and a little bit harder and pretty soon God will say, okay, go ahead. It's dangerous. So right here we see this battle, this conflict with the first request from Moses and Aaron. And the response of Pharaoh was already premeditated. He already knew what he was going to do. And he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know his name. Which one is it? Is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? Is it the bull God? Which one is it? Is it the cow God? Which one is it? Is it the God of the Nile? Is it the God of the heavens? Is it the sun God? Is it the frog God? Which one is it? Are you with me here today? Is it the cow God? All these gods that God's, uh, these false gods that God is going to bring judgment on. When we see the judgments of God, what they are all, they are on false gods. So when Moses comes, says, tells him, the Lord says, let my people go. The Lord God? He said, which one? Who are you talking about? Are you talking about the Nile? Are you talking about the frogs? Which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the sky God? Are you talking about the sun God, Ray? Which one are you talking about? You're talking about me? Because he thought he was God. So we have this battle. Is being the stage is being set for a battle between God and Pharaoh. And you don't want to get on the wrong side of God. And you don't want God fighting you. I, I promise you. I promise you. Because God will win every time. And I say, well, I believe judgment's only going to fall on the world. That's where you're wrong. The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. You know where the judgment is going to start? It's going to start right here. It's going to start right in the church, and God is going to remove sin out of His house. He's going to judge you, and He's going to judge me. It's not just for the world. It begins at the house of God, and then it will go out to the world. So we need to be absolutely sure that we're walking with God. Amen? And I've got a word to preach to you tonight. I believe it's very, very important that God spoke to me in the middle of the night. It's going to bless you. Amen? But it's also going to wake you up. Because we're in a very, very important time. Very important time spiritually as a church. Amen? We need to know what God is doing. But as long as we say yes to the Lord, we'll be okay. The moment we start saying no to God's command, you get ready. Because every time you're going to get a little bit harder and harder and harder. And pretty soon, you'll move to a place where you can no longer say yes. Are you glad you're in the church this morning? How many of y'all glad you said yes to the Lord? Because I promise you, God's going to win. I said God's going to win. He always wins. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. I want to be on the right side of God because God always wins. So when He comes, they say, yes. Say, yes, Lord. Amen. So this is the beginning of Pharaoh's problem. The beginning where his heart is going to get harder and harder and harder. Verse 3, they said, the God of the Hebrews. That's who He is. He's the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Who is He? He's the God of the Hebrews. 
And he told us to go out of the wilderness. And when we get out there, we're going to have a big feast. But it's important for us to sacrifice to the Lord. And some of the animals that you Egyptians worship, like the cow god, the bull god, are going to be offered up to the God of the Hebrews as a sacrifice. Blood's going to be shed. It's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that He paid when His blood would be shed. And for Israel to stay in Egypt, which was not God's will anyway, but for Israel to stay in Egypt and offer sacrifices and shed blood in Egyptian territory would be an abomination to the Egyptians. They wouldn't understand why the Israelites were killing, you know, cattle and blood flowing from the cattle because God requires blood to atone for sin. So, so we want to go out and we're only going to go out three days. We'll come back three days. Just give us three days to go and worship God. Give us three days to go and offer blood sacrifices to the Lord. Just give us three days, Pharaoh. Because if we don't, God's going to judge us too. Pestilence is going to come upon us. Judgment's going to come upon us. And we don't want God to judge us, Pharaoh. So let us go out and let us worship our God. Let us throw a festival to our God. Let us offer sacrifices to our God for three days because we don't want this God to judge our sin, Pharaoh. Amen. So the Bible says, verse 4, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens. What are you trying to do? You're just trying to to stop the people from working. You see? Well, now he said, no. He said, I'm not going to let you worship this God. And he said, just get busy. Hallelujah. Are you with me here today? Just get busy. Just get busy. You must be idle. You must have a lot of time on your hands to be able to go three days and worship God. You're just trying to get out of work. You're idle. You must have a lot of time on your hands. He, he said, get back to work. See, that's the plan of the enemy. Do you understand how important it is for you to have a time when you meet with God? When you hear His Word preached? You import, do you understand how important it is to have worship, the worship of God in your life? you know how valuable that is to the Lord? And the first thing the enemy will do, you listen to your pastor, the first thing he will do, when you get ready to worship God, when you get ready to offer a sacrifice to God, it costs to serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord without sacrifice. It costs to serve Him. And when you get ready to make those commitments to serve God and to pay the price, you know what the enemy is going to do? He's going to come and he's going to say, you're too busy. And you'll find out that all of a sudden you have work, too much work. Too much work. You've got so much work to do now. You're so busy now. You can't go to church to worship God. We don't ever see you in the house of God because you're just too busy. And that, let me tell you, that is not God. That is the enemy. He wants to make the people of God so busy that they don't have time to worship God. You need to realize that. 
when I first got in the church before I ever started pastoring, I was working at a certain company, and this company, the the manager of the company said, we want to promote you to be a manager. They said, but you're going to have to work on Wednesdays. Well, this is before I even got married. I mean, that looked real good to me, you know. I said, yeah, I get to be promoted, get to be a manager. This is really looking good. But I made up my mind at an early age at that time. It was really an early altar for me. When that opportunity came, I looked at that manager and I said, I can't accept it. She said, why? She said, I said, because I can't miss church. I can't miss church. She just looked at me. She couldn't hardly believe that I would put God or I would put going to church above a, an opportunity to be a manager in her company. Do you understand? So what the enemy is going to do, he's going to come in your life and doors are going to open up for you to miss church. He's going to tell you, get to work. You don't have time to go to church. You have to at some point in your life make up your mind that I'm going to worship God. Now listen to me carefully. I know that every once in a while you need to miss. I don't have a problem with that. I understand. But if it becomes a pattern in your life where you are missing church all the time just so you can go to work, you need to change jobs. See, but I need my job, Pastor. You don't think I needed a promotion? But I told her no. Well, make a long story short, I didn't work there too much longer. And there was a time, a little bit of time, I didn't have a job. But I trusted God. Are y'all with me? And the door swung open to another job, and I was there for ten solid years. Ten straight years. Do you understand what I'm saying? God made a way. He opened a door for me. But He put me to the test. It was a test in my life. Would I say yes to the promotion? Or would I say no to the promotion? Because I didn't want to miss Wednesday. Some people say, well, you could go on Sunday morning and Sunday night. No. For me, it was a test from God. What is the most important thing in your life? Is it God? Is it going to the house of God? Is it going to church, hearing His Word preached, or some promotion? Which is more important to me? And those early decisions that I made in my life have made me what I am today. I'm telling you, it made me what I am today. Not compromising. Now obviously I understand some of you or in situations you're going to need to miss every once in a while, and you let me know it's not a problem. But I'm talking about where's your heart this morning? God knows your heart. He knows if you can be in the house of God or not to worship Him. He knows your heart. or He, he knows also if you're just making excuses to not be in the house of God. The first thing that Pharaoh did in, in connection to their request to worship God is, I'm going to make you busy. Get to work. Get to work. Get to work. The Bible says in the prophet Daniel in the last days that the Antichrist will rise to power. And when the Antichrist rises to power, the Bible says the Antichrist will wear out the saints of the Most High God. Wear you out. 
You see, here's the trick of the enemy. For all of us, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm ju the Word of God's judging me. The trick of the enemy is this: is if he can't get you to lift your foot off the pedal completely, he will get you to push it all the way to the ground. We're out the saints of the Most High God. You have to have the discernment to know. Amen. You got to, you got to put it in. No, God, I have an altar. I have a place where I'm going to go and worship God. There's a time I'm going to meet with God. I'm not going to compromise with it. Amen? Amen. And I repeat again, sometimes I understand it's necessary, but if there's a pattern in your life, you need to make a change. And if you do, God will honor it. I said God will honor it. Because you're putting God first. And where should God be in my life? Where should God be in your life? God should be number one. Not number two. He's more important than my wife. He's more important than my children. He's more important than my life. God has to be number one in my life, not number two. And that's the trick of the enemy. And I told somebody not long ago, they're new converts, they called me, they said, well, I'm going to take another job and I'm going to miss Sunday morning and uh, we'll be there on Wednesday night and Sunday night and I'm trying to get a house pastor and all of that. And, you know, new converts. So I said, I understand. If you do it temporarily, it's okay. But if it becomes long term, then you're going to have to do something different. Because you can't, you cannot, you can't pay that price. You can't, you can't say, I'm giving up worship. I'm giving up going to church so I can work. You can't do it. Because you'll never, ever make it. You will never make it. You have to be in the house of God. I have to be in the house of God. Amen. I love being in the house of God. I want to be here. I want to worship Him. I want to pray. I want to draw near to Him. But the enemy doesn't want that. So I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you by the Word of the Lord, He's after your worship. I was in a church and there was a man that I knew who used to stand in the pulpit and lead worship. And he did such a phenomenal job leading worship. Amen. And, uh, you know, we went, fulfilled the cause of God in our life and pastored another church, pastored a church in Crane. This is the only second church I've ever pastored. Pastored one in Crane. But, amen, are y'all with me? Something happened. This man who once led worship in the church stopped going to church altogether. And you know what it was? His business started growing. He was in construction. He was a house builder. And his business started Booming! I mean, he had so much work, you know. He just couldn't keep up with the with the work, and pretty soon, 
He gave all his heart and life to that business. And the last time I saw this man, who I still respect and I still love, he was not in the house of God. He wasn't in the church anymore. The enemy can trick you. He come to trick you. He, he can trick me. He can trick anybody in this church. Because what's he, what is he after? He's after your worship to God. He's after your relationship to God. And so sometimes you're going to have to make hard decisions. And you may not see a door opening anywhere else. It's completely by faith. But if you do it, I promise you, by testimony in my own life, I give testimony in my own life, when you make those decisions and you put God first, God's not going to let you down. God's going to bless you. Other doors are going to open for you that were better. And here you are, you're just grinding it out. You hate your job anyway. You don't want to be there anyway. Well, why don't you just trust God? Amen. Even in slow economies. I said even in slow economies. I, I personally believe because Brother Jonathan Lemons works at that dealership, they broke a record. And that's my opinion. You don't tell Robbie that. Robbie's a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a general manager there. He's a good friend of mine. We always have a real good talk about God when I go in there in his, in his dealership. But, you know, Robbie, Robbie's a God-fearing man. But I believe that dealership's blessed because this man's there. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And when Brother Jonathan came to me and, you know, he was at a different location, he came to me and we felt in the Lord because he, you know, I'm not going to be a Lord over him, be a God over him, but he wanted to know what to do. Should I make a change or whatever? And I, just, I said, okay, Brother Jonathan, I feel it's, it's okay for you to do that. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest a place for you to go. And, and he didn't really want, remember we sat in the office? He didn't really want it. He didn't want to go to this place. But I said, Brother Jonathan, I said, I believe if you'll go to this place, I know the person that's there, and I believe that God will bless you. He went there. He got the job. But you know what he did? He told him, he said, I need to be in the church house on Wednesday. I have responsibilities that I need to take care of in the church and serving God. And they said, okay, no problem, Jonathan. No problem. You, but you have to set those things, those boundaries when you first get in, not after. Hallelujah. Say praise God. And they said, okay. Amen. But see, church is important to this man. Being in the house of God is important to this man, just like it is to many of you here. Hallelujah. And he's blessed. He's blessed. Bought a vehicle not long ago from that same dealership. Brother Jonathan was the salesman. And I'm telling you, this man is so blessed that even salesmen that work with him were coming up to me and saying, it made me feel good. He said, they said, this one man said, you're doing a good job with him. <laughs> you know, because I knew I was his pastor. They said, you're doing a good job with him. And, and they just, they had nothing but good to talk about his values. Good things to talk about how he loves his family. You know, just nothing negative. Just all good. Coming out of a salesman's mouth. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you put God first, God will honor you. If you honor God, God will honor you. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.
The enemy's after your worship. Okay? And if he can't get it by work, he'll come after you by pleasure. Because he's after your worship. I need God. I need worship. I need to praise Him. Do you understand? Don't let the enemy pull that one on you. Just make up your mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. Because the opportunity is going to come. The enemy is going to bring that temptation. And you're going to have to make a decision when it does. How many of y'all believe God? You trust God. He can do more for you than you could ever do for yourself. You can work, you can work 80 hours and miss church and everything and make less money than if you work for 30 or 40 hours in one week. If you trust God. If you learn to trust God. If you get these, these basic values inside of you, it's gonna cost me to worship Him. He requires sacrifice from me. I can't worship Yahweh Elohim, the one God of the Bible, Jesus. I can't worship Him and not it not cost me something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you money. It's, it, sacrifice is required in serving God. You can't have it your way all the time. It costs you something. And Pharaoh was after that sacrifice. Just like the enemy today, he's after that sacrifice in your life. How many are willing to make it to glorify God? You'll trust Him. Those early altars are really important. Early altars, when you have those times where you've got to make tough decisions, it's going to cost you. God, which way are you going to go? If you'll make the right decisions, you'll be thankful when you do. Because you'll have a testimony. You'll have something to say to somebody when you stand up and, or you preach or you, you, you witness and you're testifying. I put God first in my life. Are y'all with me? I put God with, first in my time. I put God first with my job. I put God first in my finances. I can't, I can't, I can't bring my tithe right now. I got bills I gotta pay. <laughs> when you start saying, I can't afford to bring my sacrifice to God, when you start saying, I can't afford to bring my tithe, you need to change that and say, I can't afford not to bring it. <laughs> I'm dead broke. You got a dollar that I can give to God? He provides seed for the sower. The Bible says God will give seed to the sower. He knows if you're a sower or not. And if you don't have anything to give, He'll provide it so you can give. Why? So you can have a harvest. The enemy's after your worship. He's after your time in the house of God. He's after your praise. He's after your service. He's after your sacrifice. You know, you know very well because we've obeyed God in the past when we purchased that property over there and that property over there. You know the testimony. We paid $185,000 for both that land and that land over there. $185,000. We sold that land for 100000 That means that we had a $85,000 investment or thereabouts in the land across the street. We sold half of it 
at the beginning of the year for over $400,000. Half of it. Now, you don't know what I'm about to say. That means our account, we had a lot of funds in our account. What we do, well, we just put it in the kingdom of God. Amen? We got seating. 275 chairs coming this week. Amen? Parking lots paved. All the buildings are, are uh, painted and so on and so forth. We put it back in the kingdom of God. We still have some left over. Amen? But what I'm, trying, what I'm about to say is because I feel led of the Holy Ghost not to brag. Even though we had all that money in the bank, we, my wife and myself never stopped bringing our offering, our monthly offering to the Lord above our tithe. We could have said, well, you know, look, we got all this money in the bank. The, the church don't need the money now. So let us hold back our offerings. No, we never did it. You know why? Because when the temptation came to me and it says, you don't need to put money in the bank because the church got plenty of money right now. When that temptation came to me, I said, no, the church might not need it, but I need it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you the truth. I realized my need. I need to give my offering to the Lord because that's the way He blesses me. The church might not need it, but I do. Amen? And you get a new house, temptation comes, well, I'm not going to give my offering. I'm not going to give my offering because now I've got to make my house payment. That's when you need to increase your offering. When you have more responsibility on you, that's when you increase your offering, not decrease your offering. So I'm just giving you testimony in my own life. I believe what I'm preaching to you. I'm not just preaching it to you. I believe what I'm preaching to you. I don't just bring a tithe to the Lord. We bring offerings. My family brings offerings to the Lord. And there's always going to be the enemy that's going to come. And he's going to say, give me that. Keep it for yourself. Amen. Isn't God good? So when the enemy come, you say, well, the church doesn't need it. The church has got too much money anyway. It's not about that. You need it. Not just your tithe. Your tithe, that, that belongs to God anyway, whether you bring it or not. I said again, if you don't bring your tithe to God, it belongs to God anyway. That's why he said you robbed him. Because it already belongs to Him whether you bring it to Him or not. But your offering is a free will thing that's above your tithe. And that the enemy will come. He'll come after that right there. Am I preaching this to you this morning because I'm getting ready to take up an offering above your tithes? No. Am I preaching this to you this morning because the church needs it? No, I'm preaching it to you this morning so you'll get some convictions on the inside of your heart and when the enemy comes after your tithe, you say, no, that belongs to God. If I don't give it, it still belongs to God. I robbed Him. But above my tithe, I'm going to bring an offering to God because I need His blessing in my life. Slow economy, bring your tithe and your offering to God and watch what God will do. Say praise the Lord, church.
Now, I want you to lift your hands if you've ever been tempted in this area not to do it. We've all been tempted. But when God comes to you and He's coming to you by the Word of the Lord today, can I tell you something, church? This is not even in my notes to preach to you this morning. I didn't write this down to preach to you. You understand? This is coming from the Holy Ghost to you. And if you'll receive it, you'll understand. You'll understand it's important. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. Did God need a sacrifice? Did God need bulls and goats? Did God need any of that? Did He need anything? He says in the Bible, if God should get hungry, would He tell you? He doesn't come to us and, and speak to us this morning like He's speaking because He's hungry. He doesn't come to us because He needs anything. He comes to us with this Word because you need it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. Whether I give it to Him or not, He owns every bit of it. It's not I have to, is I get to. I get to. The Bible says bring forth a sacrifice of praise which is the fruit of your lips. When you don't feel like praising Him, you praise Him anyway because it's sacrifice. Anybody can praise Him when everything's going wonderful. But when your life is caving in on you, man, everything's falling apart. That's, I don't, even if you're an unbeliever, uh, only a believer can worship Him. But an unbeliever can still praise Him. That even an unbeliever say, Thank you, Jesus, for my breath. Thank you, Jesus, for my life. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me. Thank you, Jesus, for water. Thank, are y'all with me? Even an unbeliever can thank Him. God have mercy on you. If when you come to the house of God, you, you can't somehow praise Him because things are not going well with you. It's called a sacrifice of praise. David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. When my soul doesn't want to bless God, I'm going to get my soul by the back of the neck and I'm going to say, You're going to bless Him. You're going to praise Him. You're going to worship Him. You're going to lift your voice unto God. The enemy is after the sacrifice because that's the way God blesses His people. Amen. Cost something to serving, but we don't have to. We get to. I said we get to. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You say, people. I know people. You, you might think in your mind. I know people. They they got a lot of money and they don't give to God. They're not prospering. You could have a lot of money, but a lot of money is not prosperity. Prosperity is peace in your soul. Prosperity is, is not just physical blessings. Prosperity is spiritual blessings. To have peace in your heart today. To know you're walking with God. To know you're in a relationship with God. To know that you know God. To know that you're going to heaven. How are you with me here today? There's a lot of people that have physical things in their life. But they're not prospering. They're not happy. They're not happy. Prosperity is happy in God. 
blessed in God, peace in God, salvation in God. And then on top of that, He'll bless you financially. He's just, he's just that kind of God. He, saved, he saves me from hell, saves you from hell, and then turns around and says, I've got a plan. If you'll follow it, I'll turn around and bless your life. Body, soul, and spirit. I'll bless you financially. I'll bless your body. I'll heal your body. I'll touch your mind. I'll save you just in time. That's prosperity. You could have millions of dollars in the bank but be on, the, on your back in a hospital room about ready to die. So when I talk about prosperity, I'm not talking about just how much money you got in the bank. I'm talking about your, your hell. I'm not about your spirit. I'm not about peace with God. I'm not about salvation. And the good thing about God is He saves you from hell and says you can go to heaven, eternal bliss, but on the way I can bless you. Why would anybody in their right mind, and I say they're not in their right mind, Pharaoh's got them captive. Because anybody in their right mind would understand how important worship, how important sacrifice, how important giving to the Lord is. Anybody in their right mind. If you can't see that, Pharaoh's got you captured. He's a good God. You can't outgive God. It's impossible to outgive God. Amen. How many of y'all believe the word of the Lord? I believe what I'm preaching to you this morning. So whatever excuse the enemy brings to you, the Lord right now is speaking to your heart. He says it's not about God. God's not hungry. <laughs> if He were, would He even come to you and say, Hey, I'm hungry. Would you give me something to eat? Are you kidding me? <laughs> if God should get hungry. No. God is an awesome God. He just lets us be a part of sacrifice. He lets us be a part of worship. Have you ever been in a place... And I know, see, some of y'all are shutting me off, man. You shut me off because you don't like me to preach like this. Because this is practical. You want to hear about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and the second coming of Jesus because you don't have to do anything about that right now. But when we talk about practical worship and sacrifice and living for the Lord, are you understanding what the enemy is really after in your life? That's when you want to shut me off. I got, I got news for you. You shut the Word of God off, your heart's going to get harder and harder and harder. Say yes to God. You don't got time for God? I say, you don't got time for God? God can make a way where you have more time for Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have time for God? You're too busy? He can make a way where you have time. You don't want to bring your tithes and offerings to God? Okay. You don't want His blessing in your life? Then pay a doctor. Pay a doctor for your disease. Are y'all here today? Give the Lord some praise in the house. God is a mighty God. Somebody say, well, you don't bring your tithe to God. God will get it anyway. I said He'll get it anyway. It belongs to Him. You rob Him. He can, he can, if God wants to, and I'm not saying, I'm not 
pronouncing judgment on it, but if he wanted to, he could hit your body right now with a disease that cost you millions of dollars. You need to thank God if you're breathing His air. By the way, church, what you're breathing right now, you can't make for yourself. It's His air. You, you, you breathe His air. You drink His water. You eat food that He provided. And you don't bring anything back to God. You don't thank Him for that. Y'all doing okay? The enemy is after your sacrifice. He's a worthy God. He's worthy. I said He's worthy. <laughs> Moses, just, just get back to work, said Pharaoh. Get, the, get so busy you can't. Verse 5, Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and they make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. So now I say, Oh, you got plenty of time now. You want to go out in the wilderness? And worship God and sacrifice to God? You got so much time on your hands? Okay, well, here's what we do. Here's what the Pharaoh, here Pharaoh does. He says, Instead of us bringing straw to you, which what is the straw for? The straw is to be placed in the brick for strength to hold it together. And, and straw was provided to them by Pharaoh. But now Pharaoh says, No, we're not going to provide straw for you. You're going to have to go and get the straw for yourself. So he's adding to their already hard labor. Now they've got an added thing they have to do. Not just prepare the bricks, but now they've got to go and get the straw, the work to get the straw, and then make the bricks too. It's getting harder. The labor's getting harder for them. Are y'all here? Verse 10. The taskmaster of the people went out, their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus say Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye get straw where you can find it. Yet not out of your work shall be diminished. You're going to have to keep producing the same amount, but you're going to have to go get the straw as well. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily task, as when there was straw. The officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh, Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded. Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore? Then the officers told of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants that, that they say to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is not in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle. Ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. You're not busy enough, so I'm going to make it. 
make you even busier. Because you say, I want to sacrifice unto the Lord. Verse 18, Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall you deliver the tale of bricks. And the officer of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case after it was said, You shall not minish aught from your bricks or your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge because you have made our Savior to be a board in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Now they blame the servants of God. They blame Moses and they blame Aaron for their troubles. It's not Moses' fault and it's not Aaron's fault that they're having trouble. Do you understand that? Oftentimes when we start having trouble in our life, we want to point the finger at the man of God. We want to point the finger at the pastor. You understand what I'm telling you? Isn't it amazing that people will look for something that's not even there they're, because they're having trouble in their life because they can't manage their own life. they got to point a finger at somebody else. That's why you see these wackos kill people. They kill people because they can't handle their own life. If you can't handle your own life, don't take somebody else's life. And that's where a lot of people are today. And some of this just doesn't apply to some of you, but it does to some. Some of you cannot discern the reason for your trouble. And so you have, because you can't manage your own life, because you can't take care of yourself, or because you can't take care of your family, you've got to find somebody else to take it out on. God knows what that's all about. He saw it in the people of Israel blaming Moses and blaming Aaron for their troubles. You and I need to have the ability to discern. Why am I having this trouble? Moses is sent there and Aaron is sent there to be deliverers for the people of God. But now they're pointing a finger, the people of God are pointing a finger at the leadership because of their trouble. Boy, I tell you, I say, boy, I'm texting, aren't I? <laughs> boy, I tell you, I know about all, I know about this stuff because people can't manage their own life. They start pointing fingers at the church. They start pointing fingers at the church people. They start pointing fingers at, at the ministry. No. The church is just fine. The church of God is just fine. Amen? The ministry is doing what it's supposed to do. It's preaching the Word of God to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you need to stop trying to find a problem somewhere else because of your trouble. In the name of the Lord God, touch God. Touch God and deliver. 
this is a good church. This is God's church. Amen. The Word of God is good. You're having trouble. You need to look at your own life. Make sense? Does it make sense? You ever start going through things you want to blame everybody else for? That's what Israel was doing. No. I'm in trouble because of decisions I've made. Let me just say this. If you're having a hard time discerning why you're having trouble in your life, you need to get in this book because this book will tell you why you're having the trouble you're having because it's in this Bible. So you don't want to hear that. You don't want to you. You don't want to own it. You don't want to be responsible. You don't want to take, take responsibility for your own insanity. And you don't like what I'm saying, but I'm going to look you in the eyes. And I've got the power and the boldness to look you in the eyes and to tell you, you got the problem. You're having a problem discerning why you are always in trouble. You need to get in this book, in this Bible, and you need to find out what the Word of God says because the Word of God will tell you why you are in the trouble you're in. God's Word has the answers. The people are good to you. God's people are good to you. The ministry is good to you. The problem is, you have trouble in your life because you can't manage yourself. You're having trouble with yourself. So you've got to find somebody else to take it out on. Are y'all with me here today? How many would just, and not, don't lift your hand, just in your heart, you would get honest with yourself and honest with God and stop playing this. you played it all your life. It so happens that you've come to a place where the Word of God is preached. And now you're finding out that the trouble that's in your life wasn't because of somebody else. It was because you couldn't manage yourself. Moses and Aaron is there to deliver. Hallelujah. The church is here to help you get delivered. Do you understand? Do you think I'm ever going to tell you you're praying too much? Do you think I'm ever going to tell you that you're worshiping too loud? Do you think? If you're doing what's right, if you're living right, you're, you're doing it the ways of God, you think I'm ever going to have to correct you? Never! Why am I having this trouble in my life? You have to be able to discern it. Years and years ago, before I ever started pastoring, and I say that so you know the context, I didn't go as a pastor, but I was asked by a man of God in Andrews, Texas to come and preach to an apostolic Pentecostal church. And before I went and preached in Brother Foster's church in Andrews, 
I'm going to just tell you a little bit about Brother Foster. Brother Foster was one of the most committed, dedicated men I've ever known in my life. He was an educated man. He could teach school. He quit teaching school. He took a small church in Andrews, Texas. And he devoted himself, he and his wife, and, and little children, precious little kids, devoted his life to being a pastor of that church to the point that he said, I'm not, I'm not going to teach school. I'm going to pastor. And he, this, this man was a man of God. He preached holiness. He, he preached it straight down the line. But he was a good man. He was a compassionate man. He was a merciful man. He wanted revival in his church. And he paid the price himself. The church people didn't like it. They didn't like it. And it got so hard for that man of God and his precious wife. I'm talking about precious little children. Precious. Got so hard. I remember going over there when he had a trailer to live in beside the church. He had a trailer to live in for his family. And it got so hard they had to let the trailer go. And he moved into the church I remember going and I looked where he lived in that church. He had to take a shower. There was an open drain in the middle of the floor. Didn't even have a formal bathroom. Drain in the middle of the floor. An open room. And he had to take a shower. Brother Foster had to take a shower in that open room. His kids. That open drain. Doing everything he can to serve God, making the ultimate sacrifices. The people giving him trouble. And Brother Foster called me. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't the kind of man to try to set anything up. He wasn't, he didn't say come and straighten the people out. He didn't, he wasn't like that. But he asked me to go and preach as a young preacher to his church, and I never forget. The Lord spoke to me before I went and preached there. He said, you need to preach this to that congregation. You need to preach this to that congregation. Preach what? Tell them that sometimes when God gets ready to deliver, it gets harder before it gets easier. And tell them whenever it gets harder, you're going to be tempted to blame the man of God. Brother Foster. And that's the message I gave him. And oftentimes when God gets ready to bring revival to a church, it gets harder before it gets easier. And you will be tempted to blame people for your troubles. Because you don't have the ability to discern your problem. So I did what God told me to do. I preached it. It was a mighty move of God. I, I know Brother Foster. I know him very well. And he, I don't think he's still there today. But I knew that was the mind of God. Years went by. And I was in Crane, Texas. Years and years went by. And I was pastoring in Crane, Texas. And, and because of my great respect for Brother Foster as a man of God, I called Brother Foster, even though he was pastoring. 
I said, Brother Foster, I don't know if you've got somebody that can take service for you there in your church or not, but would you come and preach to the church in Crane? And he felt led of God to come and preach to the church in Crane. Years had come, come and gone. You know what? He stood up in the church in Crane and he preached the same message to them that I had preached in Andrews in his church. Before it gets better in your life, when God gets ready to do great and mighty things in your life, if you're not careful, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you're going to have to look, okay, why am I having this trouble? I've got to go to the Word of God. Do not fall for the lie or the temptation to blame somebody else for your troubles. You understand what I'm saying? God is good. Maybe sometime the enemy's just rising up more. Maybe the enemy's attacking. Say amen. I just thank the Lord, man. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I say, man, I've had the opportunity... I've had the opportunity to know great men of God. Men of God that paid a price to be in the ministry. It cost them. But in the midst of that, to have the church rise up and be fighting you? Undeserved. Undeserved. I pray to God because I love you and I pray to God this morning the Word of God's helping you. And this isn't a perfect place and I'm not a perfect man. But I believe this is a work of God. And we're going to do it God's way. And it might, it might get tough at times because we're doing it God's way. We're going to do it God's way. I mean, I believe the word of the Lord. Do you really want to know, church, and I'm speaking to you individually in the church, do you really want to know why you have so many troubles? Do you really want to know? Or do you just want to keep for the rest of your life? Amen. No, uh-uh. We're not going to pass the buck. We're not going to do it. What, what, what? Is this going to help, Brother Jonathan Lemons, is this going to help them? Is this going to help Israel, the people of God, to do that? Is it going to help them to blame Moses and to blame Aaron? Is it going to get them out of their trouble to do that? I ask you. No. Doesn't do any good. And not only did they not have the ability to discern why they had the trouble in their life, they, ex they exaggerate the consequence. They said, Moses, now Egypt's got a sword in their hands. They're going to kill us now. Look at it. You don't want to look at it, do you? Do it like this. 
You, if you don't want to sit, just... Okay. Verse 21, they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge because you have made your Savior to be a board in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Point the finger at Moses and Pharaoh. I mean Moses and Aaron. And then says, you put a sword in his hand now. He's going to kill us. Have you read anything yet where the Bible says that Pharaoh's got a sword in his hand he's fixed to kill him? No, they're exaggerating the consequence now. So if you can't discern your trouble while you're having the trouble, then you're going to exaggerate the consequence always. What's real? No, they were, Pharaoh wasn't out and they're going to try to kill him. He didn't have a sword in their hand. Do you, you see what I'm saying? They're exaggerating. Praise the Lord. If you can't hear that in people's voice, you're too gullible to be white. See, <laughs> so y'all think I'm all racial, you know. Are you kidding me, man? I'm racial. He's sitting on the platform. <laughs> Amen? I'm just telling you. If people start having trouble in their life, they want to blame somebody else for it, you know. Don't you have the ability to hear? Don't you understand that they're going to exaggerate? No. Really? No, you're there going, Really? Tell me more. Why? Because it props you up. It justifies what you think. Amen? How many of you want deliverance in your life? I, pointing the fingers, blaming everybody else for your trouble because you can't discern your trouble and then exaggerating the consequence is not going to get you out of Egypt. Amen? And say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the deliverer. Thank you, deliverer. Thank you for helping me. Hallelujah. See, I told you, you want me to preach on the rider on the white horse. The rider on the red horse. The rider on the... Are you with me? The rider on the white horse. Red horse, black horse, pale green horse. That's what you want me to preach on. We'll come tonight, and I will. <laughs> Amen. You see Sister Carver Hall sent up that testimony? She said, she said at the beginning of her testimony, I've been a bad girl. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, as a pastor, I'm looking at this testimony and I'm thinking, man, I need to ease this up, boy, because she's, you know, she's talking about how many times she's gone to jail, how many times she's been, you know, charged, and all this stuff got to 
thing on I'm going I don't want to tell the church all that bad stuff about you sister where are they going and the Lord said no you need to tell them everything well she said I've been a bad girl and I don't deserve what I'm getting but God's been good to me and I got a job and I didn't deserve to get the job. God bless you, Sister Carvajal. That's what I'm preaching about. That's how you glorify God. That's why when she got out the first time, y'all know how powerful God was moving in her life. What a testimony she is. And now she's come out, you know, and look what the Lord is doing in her life. And you as a church admire her. Not because she's been perfect in every area of her life, but when she came out, she did her time. She paid the price for her crime. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. She didn't make up excuses, pointing the fingers, you know. She came back to the house of God. Now listen to me. When she came back, she was closer when she came back than when she was before she left. And God used her in prison, hallelujah, to pray people through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Lord. Start discerning why you're having trouble. Amen. Repent of that. Hallelujah. Get right with God and say, I need a deliverer in my life. And I'm going to stop exaggerating the consequences in my life. Says me, I can't, I can't manage myself or my life. I need God. I need a deliverer in my life. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to draw near to God and, and, and let His light, His glory shine through you. Amen. Please sit down. How, how many of y'all admire the walk that Sister Carvajal has? The walk with God. The purity. The unfeigned love. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm a bad, I was a bad girl. God's been good to me. That's powerful. When you get to a place where you can do that right there, you'll have a walk with God that will be envied by the people of God. I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. My wife and, and myself admire her. I, I thank God for her. Really. Just, just how many, when, when was the last time you had the ability to cry tears because God's goodness in your life? No, the reason why maybe is because you thought you deserve more than you're getting. She says, I deserve less than I'm getting. Isn't that just beautiful, man? God gets the glory, doesn't He? I said, God gets the glory. So when you and I get, get into that, where we start feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, Okay, God. I'm just going to get honest with you and get real with you. Amen. Amen. 
I need you, Lord, in my life. Obviously, this was hard on Moses. Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, <laughs> wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? See, even Moses <laughs> pointed a blame finger, a blame at God. Even Moses. The good news is, a few verses later, he'll correct it. He'll correct it and he'll say, it's Pharaoh. But when the church caught this attitude toward him, wanted to blame him and Aaron for their trouble and exaggerate the consequence, Moses got exasperated. He got tired. And so it caused, it caused Moses to begin to falsely accuse God for the problem. Why are you treating the people of God this way? God, why are you treating the church this way? Didn't you promise that you were going to deliver them? You forgot something, Moses, because God told you and you didn't listen very well. God told you he would deliver the people, but not before He smites Egypt. God had already told Moses, I'm going to have to smite Egypt before Pharaoh will let them go. Moses somehow had selective hearing. He only wanted to hear God saying, I'm going to deliver the people. He forgot the negative which was God said, I'm going to have to smite Egypt first. See, we're like that, aren't we? We have selective hearing, don't we? Okay, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you now. How many of y'all have selective hearing? I know you do. Because I have preached from the Word of God, the Word of God that applies to your life, and I find out the same week you didn't hear it. The same week you didn't hear it. Because you're selective. You only want to hear what you want to hear. Moses would not have blamed God to point a finger or blame at God if he had heard the whole message. If he had paid attention, really paid attention, I'll say it again, really paid attention to everything that God said. See, some people hear a part of what God said, but because they don't hear everything that God said, especially the negative they point a finger of blame. You know that God told Moses he's going to have to smite Egypt before they would, before Pharaoh would let him go, right? Is this word too strong for y'all? Y'all want milk? This is meat. I said, this is meat right here. If I get up and I say, you're going to be blessed by God. You know, 
And that's all you hear. You don't hear that God's going to have to spank you before you get the blessing. You don't want to hear that one. And then you come back and say, well, didn't you say God's going to bless me? Didn't you put the favor of God on it? No, you didn't hear everything. Selective hearing. That's where we get in trouble. Now, honestly, church, as a pastor, sometimes it's difficult when you feel like the church is against you. And sometimes it's the enemy talking to the pastor, making him think that. And sometimes it's real. Okay? Sometimes it's just right, right down the middle. Some people are against you and some people are for you. So you're kind of in a quandary. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Which one is it? You know, so you, you, you get into those kinds of things. But don't blame God. Don't blame God. Hear everything He said. He said if you repent, He will forgive. He didn't just say, I'm going to forgive you. He said, if you repent, He will forgive. Oh, there we go. There we go. I just heard He's going to forgive me. I didn't hear it. I needed to do anything to get the forgiveness. I just heard He's going to bless me. I didn't know. Amen. Are y'all getting tired? I'm almost done, I promise you. Hallelujah. I remember when I first told uh, Brother Dice, Brother Dice is going to be with the Lord. He died, He passed away years and years with God. He passed away in the 90s. And he told me, he told me, when I told him I was going to start a church in Odessa, Texas, and I was going to start pastoring a church in Odessa, Texas, you know what he told me? He said, your trouble is just beginning. I should have listened to him and said, thank you, Brother Dice, I'm not doing it. No, I should have really, seriously. I should have said, thank you, Brother Dice, I'm not doing it. You told me I was going to have trouble. Are y'all here? Man, was he right? He was right. And sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes it's my fault. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm still young. Amen? Still young. But it gets hard sometimes. Yeah. You know, because you, you remember the days when everybody was real happy. You know, everybody happy in the church, happy that you're the pastor. Happy. You, I mean, you know, praise God. And then all of a sudden, rocks get turned over. You know, it's like this one man told Dr. Mark Hamby a long time ago, Dr. Mark, Mark Hamby make this statement. This pastor called him, talked to him on the telephone, he says, we don't know what's going on, Mark. For 13 years, it was smooth. Now, all of a sudden, we're starting to have difficulties in the ministry. And Mark Hamby told him, he said, God's just un turning the rocks over and revealing the serpents that are in the house. He said, Mark Hamby told him, he said, the serpents were always there. You just didn't know they were there. And now God is turning the rock over and revealing the serpent. Now He's letting you know it's there. See, there's things in churches 
that even the pastor doesn't even know. And years and years will go by and things may go smooth and all of a sudden God starts turning rocks over. Let me show you. There was a snake there. And oftentimes the pastors, pastors will work with things. They'll work with things. They'll work with things. They're patient. They'll work with things. They'll work with things. They'll work with things. And then all of a sudden, God starts turning rocks over. Pastors, something going on in the church. I didn't know that snake was there. It was there all the time. God just had it covered up. In the name of Jesus. And sometimes pastors know they're there. But they keep working with it anyway. It's not because they're ignorant. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they don't see. They know. But they're trying to work with it. Does that make sense? I'm being real with you this morning. I'm talking to you. I'd, I'd go to Taiwan. I'd preach in Taiwan. I remember one time before I got there, God gave me a vision of there was somebody that was uh, fighting Brother Edmonds in the church. He didn't tell me who it was, but he said, when you go there, he gave me a certain word to speak into that house. I stood there in Taiwan and I spoke that word in that house and I said, there's somebody in this house right now that's coming against this man of God right now. I don't, I don't live there. I don't go to church there. The Lord told me. And when I said that, this man stood up in the church and confessed it was him. Why? Why? Not just to uncover the man, but to change, to bring that church to a place of revival, to bring that situation in order. And the man that stood up church and lifted his hand that was fighting Brother Edmonds was the man that carried my briefcase out of the airport. As, a, as sort of as a right-hand man to ministry. God uncovers things that are in the church. Mark Hamby told him, says, already there, you just didn't know it. God's uncovering it now. Letting you see it. Last time I went to Taiwan, I couldn't figure out what was going on. But something just wasn't, it just, something was going on. Brother Edmonds, I could tell Brother Edmonds was under duress. I, I couldn't put my finger on it. He didn't tell me a lot of things, but I just could tell something wasn't right. I went there and I preached the Word of God. I did my best. But when I left, I knew something wasn't right. Even, even Brother Edmonds and I, we were, even our relationship at times, there was tension in our relationship and we're very good friends. There was tension there. I couldn't figure it out. And I got home, even my wife and I talked about it, and the tension that was there, I didn't realize it, but he was having all kinds of situations in the church. And I went there and I preached and after I came back, Brother Edmonds told me, 
one of his closest ministers, somebody that had been with him, I believe, either close to 30 years or I'm going to say close to 30. I don't want to exaggerate. One of his closest ministers got mad at him and left. Well, Brother Edmonds told me this when he came back to the States. He sat down in the, and we sat under the table and he told me this. I'm just looking at him. Because I could not believe that it was that man, Brother Ramon. I couldn't believe that it was that man. Because he was the most humble of all the servants of God in that church. Of all the ministry, he was the, he was the top. He left Brother Edmonds. He said, well, he told Brother Edmonds, he said, if, you don't, if you'll let me, he said, I'll just keep pastoring because he was a pastor in, a, in another church and, and he would have to come and be accountable to Brother Edmonds and, and be in service with Brother Edmonds and then he would travel to try to start a church in a different part of Taiwan. And he told Brother Edmonds, he said, I'm just going to try to pastor that church if it's okay with you. And Brother Edmonds said, okay. Last they saw that man, he was selling insurance. And he's not doing very well. well. After he left, a woman. A woman. I don't know why I'm telling you this, so you need to know. A woman that was really that caused the, the failure of that, ma that minister in the church. This woman wanted to be a preacher. And Brother Emmons doesn't believe in women preachers. Well, she was the one behind a lot of the turmoil in that church causing problems for Brother Edmonds. He calls her the witch. You know how humble Brother Edmonds is. He calls her the witch. She ended up leaving the, leaving the church and went to a charismatic church in Taiwan. And, and Brother Edmonds told me ended up 14 people ended up leaving his church. And when I went there, I didn't know that that was going on. I didn't know the battle he was in. He was in a great battle. So his number one minister, I believe, in my opinion, he was, a woman that thought she was called in the ministry, and he said a total of 14 people left the church. Even, even one woman that we, the first time I ever went to Taiwan, she was our host. She left the church. So I talked to Brother Edmonds on the phone and, and it, it kind of boggled my mind because Brother Edmonds was happy. You know, because I'm thinking if I lose, lose a minister and I lose 14 people out of the church and I use, you know, lose a witch, I mean, lose a woman. That... And I don't know how happy I'd be, but he's all happy. Well, he had told me, he had told me, he said, since they left, we finally have peace in our church. He said, Brother Carter, he said, I fought that battle for years. And the patience that that man exercised in dealing with those lunatics. Probably had more patience than I got. Amen. Just crazy people, man. He said, we got peace in the church now. Woo! I'm over here feeling bad for him, you know. Every time I talk to him on the telephone, he's all happy. Hey, brother. 
I said, I told him, I said, you know, you're a great example to me. You're a great example to me. Now, 14 people left your church and you're happy and you got peace. Amen. Well, you can understand where Moses is here, here when he's, you know, I said, God, what's going on? They're turning against me, you know. And you said, God, I'm going to deliver them, but they're turning. You can understand how he must have felt. But Brother Edmonds fought that battle for years and years and years with these people because he shared some things with me. Amen. Man, that there's some people in that church put that man of God in some things, in situations, hard situations, man. I mean hard. One situation tried to creep in the, homosexuality tried to creep in the church. And one of the leader, one of the women that had been a long time saint in the church, from what I understand, her son started getting involved in homosexuality, and a man started visiting the church, and he oh, I don't even want to get into details. A man started visiting the church and Brother Edmonds confronted him in the office. Okay? Guess what? The mother took the side of her homosexual son and left the church. Took the side of the homosexual son and left the church. Brother Edmund stood up in that church and he, you know, there's a situation in that church. He said, I'm not telling you to leave. He said, I'm not going to tell you to leave. But as long as it stays here, if it stays here, I'm going. That's what Brother Evans said, I'm going. If you want to accept homosexuality and you want the church to, to embrace that, Brother Evans says, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not telling you to leave, I'm out of here. Well, Brother, Brother Evans told me, he said, Brother Carter, I'm still pretty young. I'd just go start a church somewhere else and I know God would use me. Okay? So sometimes when, when God gets ready to bring revival to a church or deliverance to a church, the first thing that comes under attack is the ministry of that church. Because they can't discern their own positive, exaggerating their consequences. And then the man of God, he starts getting in a, you know, he's in a spin, dizzy. You know, what's going on, God? Well, Maybe there needs to be some uncovering. <laughs> Maybe some things need to be revealed before we can go forward in the things of God. Maybe God is going to come and purge what needs to be purged before we can have the deliverance that God wants to bring. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I tell you that, I didn't tell you everything Brother Edmonds told me. He's blamed of all kinds of stuff. He's one of the greatest men of God I've never been around in my life. Dealing with, working with, patient with. Amen. Y'all pray for him. He's but he's doing good. Did I tell you he's doing good? He's happy. He's peaceful.
So if I get if I go back, if I get to go back, he might not want me to come back. He might not invite me back. I don't know. He might. I mean, he's, he's he said he wants me to come back, but you know how it is. Sometimes people say they want you and they don't. <laughs> but he, he he told me he wants me to come back. So maybe if I go back, you know, praise the Lord, that tension won't be there, and we'll be more effective in the ministry when we get there because that stuff's gone. You know. So I hope so. I hope so. Wow, this wasn't in my notes. Wasn't in my notes. We're going to have to trust God. We're going to have to get honest with God and with our own lives and start saying, I'm reaping some stuff in my life because some things that I did. Amen? I need deliverance. You know how much God wants... God bless you. Daniel, right? Danny made... I don't call you Daniel. I don't like Danny. Daniel. Daniel's your name. Danny's like... It's silly. Danny. Danny. No, Daniel. Okay. Daniel. He came up to me Wednesday night. He said, I've been coming here for about a month. He said, I really love the Word of God. I love the way, you know, you preach. I said, thank you. Praise the Lord. God bless your heart, you know. If you don't want it, He does. Strange, isn't it? How many people in this church have the same name? Strange. It's a small church, but we got people with the same name. Does that mean you're double trouble? <laughs> no, double the blessing. Double the blessing. Double the blessing. Amen. Hallelujah. Got two Thomases. Double the blessing. Two Margarets. God help me. Just joking. It just it blows my mind how many doubles we have in here, you know. Hallelujah. So Moses, like I say, he's having a tough time. He goes to God. Now, here's the thing about Moses I want you to see, okay? What time is it, by the way? Because I know I have a certain time when y'all just shut everything down. And, and I'm getting there. I'm getting real close to that time where y'all just shut everything down, you know. I want you to see this about Moses, though. He has a complaint, but he does not... His complaint is not like the people's. Because the people point a finger at the leadership. Moses is disheartened, but Moses goes to God with it. You're going through something. Do what Moses did. Go to God with it. Hallelujah. Amen. Now God can handle it. I said God can handle it. I said God, I don't understand. Why is this happening, God? Go to God. 
it's probably because you didn't hear very well. You didn't pay attention when he told you the first time. Okay? Of what it was going to take to deliver. Wherefore hast thou so evilly entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. You didn't keep your promise, God. So now even Moses is saying it's got worse before it's getting better. But at least he's taking it to God. That's what's important. That's the difference. He took it to God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I shall do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his hand. Land. I, God said, I need to remind you, remember I told you, Judgment's going to have to come before the deliverance. And God said, I'm going to do it. His power's going to be manifest. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, when they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. And I will take to you, to me, you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Amen. I will, I will, I will. I will bring you into a land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it you for a heritage. I am the Lord. You have time. Count how many times God said, I will, I will, I will, I will. I think it's seven times. Sevenfold promise of God. You just take time and count it. I'm just doing it from memory. But Seven things God says I'm going to do. But I have to do it when I reveal my arm, strong judgments. Verse 14, These be the heads of their fathers, how the sons of Reuben. And he goes down and gives you a genealogical record. Are y'all with me? Moses is the man. Moses is the baby brother. Miriam is his older sister. Aaron is his brother, three years older than Moses. Gives you all that genealogy. Tells you who his Aaron's sons are. Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, Phinehas. Aaron will be the high priest. Nadab and Abihu will be burned up for offering strange fire. Eleazar will take his place as a high priest when Aaron dies. And then Phinehas, who does great exploits in the future, will take Eleazar's priest as high priest. It just gives you the genealogical record of, of, of Moses and his family. Okay? Verse 20, and I'll read it to you. And Amram took Jochebed, Amram is the man, the father of Moses, Jochebed, his father's sister to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram were 130 and 7 years. 
on and on it goes. Gives you the sons of Aaron, 25, Eleazar, Aaron's son, took one of the daughters of Petul to wife. She bare him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers of Levites according to their families. Let you know that Moses is a Levite, his descendants, his brothers and sisters. I come to a close. Verse 26, these are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies by rank. According to their armies by rank. These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? He repeats his excuse once again. I'm un uncircumcised lips. Remember he said, I can't speak very well. He goes back to that now. And it's repeated. He says, I have uncircumcised lips. That means I can't speak very well. The Bible talks about having uncircumcised ears. That means people that can't hear very well. The Bible talks about uncircumcised hearts. That's people that don't believe very well. Moses' excuse is, I can't speak very well. God has already addressed that. He said, I have uncircumcised lips. And how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Amen. In chapter 7, God will begin to pour out His mighty wonders and judgments upon the land of Egypt. From Egypt's perspective, it's the plagues of the Lord. From the people of God's perspective, it's His mighty wonders that's going to bring deliverance. Moses was disheartened and discouraged because he did not listen to God completely as to what it was going to take before the deliverance would come. Let's have discernment in the midst of our trouble and not exaggerate the consequence. And let us always be quick to hear the word of the Lord and have uncircumcised ears. Our circumcised ears, that means to hear well. And to have a circumcised heart, that means to believe well. Amen. Because oftentimes before it gets better, it gets worse. And God will test us. He'll put us through the trial. Listen well. Because God sometimes when He brings a promise of blessing also, there's a negative that's connected to it. Listen well. But God, just like in the days of Egypt, is preparing to begin to judge this earth. Some of the same judgments that fell upon the land of Egypt when God went to war with Pharaoh because Pharaoh refused to let the people of God go. Some of those same judgments will come to pass, begin to fall upon this earth. And the book of Revelation describes them in seals and trumpets and bowls of wrath. When they begin to fall upon this earth, from the world's perspective, it's plagues. From the people of God's perspective, it's time for deliverance. Lift up your heads for your redemption draws not.
the worse it gets in the world, is telling you the kingdom of God is fixing to come. Physically, not just spiritually, but physically. Stay faithful to the Lord and you will see the mighty wonders of God as He begins to pour them out. We're living in a great time and a great opportunity to know God. Let's stand. Father, I thank You for Your Word today.